Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to be in these simple disciplines, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used these habits to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible and to fall in love with Jesus. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful to have you here. hundredth episode I will be announcing the winner of the giveaway on a separate episode I had to record early due to being out of town this week and so that will be announced um, today as well but just in a separate little episode I just want to tell you that I have prayed for you for seven years while I worked on unedited I prayed for people that I would hadn't met or maybe would never meet people who would one day read or hear unedited. And so, well, I may not know who you are. Jesus does. And I pray that he, in his goodness, just takes some little thing that's shared on today's episode or some other episode and ministers to you and encourages you and strengthens the habits of Bible reading and prayer in your life. And I continue to pray for you to this day, not every single day, but most days I do pray for those who will hear this. Today, I just want to talk about something very simple. I'm going to talk about seven words that changed my life. I am sitting here today as nothing more than a trophy of the grace of God, nothing more than proof that God's mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness, his restorative power is still at work. I'm literally just a life that's been restored from dust, and I'm proof that grace won and grace is continuing to win in my life on a daily basis. I live with myself, and I know the deep flaws, (laughs) the things that are still a work in progress, those flaws that the potter is still trying to work out, and I'm just so thankful that he's so patient And there literally are seven words that changed my life when I was 23, and I've probably shared this in bits or pieces or maybe even completely at some point on the podcast, but it just felt to share this again today. When I was 23, I was just completely disillusioned, completely broken. I didn't know what I believed. Um, Where I was was not how my life was supposed to turn out. I had made a lot of bad decisions, and others had made bad decisions for me. And I was hurt, I was angry, I was wrestling with unforgiveness and bitterness. And one day, when I was riding with my mom in a black Jeep on Highway 94, somewhere near Black River Falls, Wisconsin, I was just rehashing some of the things I had been through and rehearsing them to her and just venting and verbally processing. And the moment, that moment is just emblazoned in my memory like it was yesterday. She didn't allow me to wallow in self-pity. She didn't try to counsel me. She just said, Megan, you need to pray about it. And it wasn't condemning. It was just very matter of fact. There really was no other solution for the place that I was. 
And I got defensive and I shot back and I said, I do pray. I pray when I'm washing dishes. I pray when I'm folding laundry. And God, in his amazing goodness, regardless of where I was in life, spoke to me in that moment and said, you need to get on your knees and pray. And so right there in a very unemotional moment in a vehicle without even saying it out loud, I committed to the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. It wasn't at an altar. There was no emotion. There were no tears. It was just a simple promise to God driving down the freeway. And the very next day, I knelt down by my couch and I began a habit that has been the key piece of my life. It really is the pivot point. It's the hinge um, for everything God has done in my life. And I had no idea where to begin. I had no idea how to work through all the emotional pain I was dealing with. There was pain from sin and loss and failure. I had broken dreams and I was wrestling condemnation and guilt and I'd been failed by leaders in my life and I had unanswered questions and really the list could just go on and on. I was so completely insecure, completely broken, but I walked into Jesus' presence that day and I just kept walking into his presence every day after that. Now I've missed some days, but if there is a one good thing in my life, It is simply because the work that God has done daily in that secret place and in his word. And I really at that point did not even know what I believed other than the fact that I knew God was real. I knew that the Bible was true and that eternity would happen. Outside of that, I did not have any sort of doctrinal belief system that I believed wholeheartedly or was convinced was truth. And so I just set out to figure out what the Bible said about salvation. And I knew I had to study out truth for myself. I knew the verse, you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so that was a lot of my early Bible reading and prayer. And I just, again, went on a journey to figure out what the Bible said for myself. And as I walked that path of complete undoneness, complete brokenness, it really never came to my mind that God would use my life someday in the future or down the road. It never occurred to me that dead dreams would be resurrected. But as a result of my mom's word, I started, or words, I started reading, I started praying, I started journaling, really digging into the original text and just writing a little bit about what I was seeing in the word of God. I started being at every church service, serving wherever there was a need that presented itself And again, I had no idea what God would do. And if you would have told me 20 years ago, just a few of the things that God would do in my life and my family's lives, I literally would not have believed you. It has been quite a journey. And it all goes back to those words that were spoken by my mom. Megan, you need to pray about it. Those seven words literally changed the course of my life. And that's why I'm here today and every other week to talk about Bible reading and prayer. They're how we have a relationship with Jesus. They're how we learn to walk with him daily. They're our lifeline. They're our connection. They're the USB cord that downloads his heart into ours. And so, Bob, you need to pray about it. Sally, you need to pray about it. Evangeline, you need to pray about it. Sue, you need to pray about it. I want to invite you to take the same journey that God convicted me to take. And I hope this is more than a podcast. I hope it is an invitation to get to know Jesus in a fresh way, in a way that you never have before. Even if you've had this habit established, there's always more 
to learn of him. There's always deeper to go. We can always have a greater hunger and a greater level of compassion for those around us. And Bible reading and prayer, while it isn't a quick fix, if you commit to it, he will fix you. He'll heal. He'll do things in your life beyond your wildest imagination. It says in Psalms 107.20, he sent his word and healed them. And it says in Psalm 16, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so those seven words changed my life. Megan, you need to pray about it. And I speak those to you today. You need to pray about it. Each week, I share an unedited journal entry straight off the pages of my journals. This is what the Lord had originally laid on my heart a number of years ago. And today's unedited journal entry is called The Priest and the Levite. This is something I literally finished writing this morning. It's kind of for me, and I just feel to share it. Um... Again, just something that the Lord's been dealing with me on since this weekend. And so today's unedited edited journal entry, The Priest and the Levite. The danger of being a priest or a Levite. On Friday night, at some point, the priest and the Levite from the story of the Good Samaritan came to mind, and they have come to mind several other times over the course of the weekend. Again this morning, the priest and the Levite came to mind, so I decided to read the famous parable from Jesus recorded in Luke 10. I am moved and convicted and cautioned by this simple story. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to a certain lawyer's questions. His first question is, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And as Jesus often does, he answers the question with a question. What is written in the law? How readest thou? The lawyer answers Jesus, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus says, Great job. Do so, and you shall live. But the lawyer, wanting to prove himself righteous in this way, or willing to justify himself, as the KJV says, asked another question. Who then is my neighbor? It has never occurred to me before, but this man was a lawyer. He was one learned in the law, an interpreter and teacher of the Mosaic law. He was a Bible scholar. And since he asked this second question of Jesus with the intent to prove his own goodness, He must have expected a particular answer. I think he may have expected Jesus to say, oh, you know, all the good folks you go to temple with, the people who are like you, the ones you're in community with who believe exactly like you, who practice the Mosaic law, the ones who offer sacrifices and honor the Sabbath, the ones who are following all the rules. This would have justified him because I think he was doing that, but that's not how Jesus answered. And Jesus answering said, in response to this religious leader's question, Jesus tells a story. He paints a picture of a neighbor, and it's not quite what this lawyer had anticipated. First of all, the neighbor was, according to what I can see, likely a Jewish man. A certain man, as the KJV says, 
But while he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, this man falls prey to thieves who strip him of his garments, wound him, and leave him half dead. This is not the good, clean variety of neighbor. This man is likely naked, he's bloody, he's injured, and he's barely surviving. He has wounds, he's been robbed and abandoned, he's at the halfway point between life and death, and the odds are not in his favor. The bad guys got the best of him. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is very mountainous and dangerous. The arid desert climate would offer no natural protection from the elements. The blazing sun of daytime and the deep chill of nighttime. He has lost all he had and has no means to help himself. He has a 50-50 chance of survival and it will be entirely dependent on another as to whether or not he makes it. This is the neighbor broken, bleeding, having encountered injurious and devastating loss at the hands of others, and the neighbor is a mess. Jesus continues to paint the scene with his words, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. This seems like a fortuitous turn of events for the victim of this crime scene. Perhaps the man was coming in and out of consciousness and could see the priestly garments through swollen eyes, Help is here. Surely this man of God will see his brutalized condition and offer assistance. But in one of the great letdowns of scripture, the story continues. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The ray of hope that had gleamed so brightly just moments before was snuffed out. One who seemed most likely to help had hurried on. I'm not sure of the priest's motives or the deciding factors, But upon observing this ravaged individual, he chose to keep walking. Maybe he observed the position of the sun overhead and knew the time of his temple obligations was pressing in. Or, if he didn't hurry, the 18-mile walk would find him in danger himself. Whatever the reason, he chose not to stop. He chose not to do anything for the broken man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. But never worry, never fear. Another set of footsteps can be heard crunching along the gravel road from Jerusalem. And likewise, a Levite, a temple assistant, is walking toward the beaten, bruised man. He's not quite as important as the priest, so certainly he will have a bit more time to minister to this injured man. Scripture says when he was at the place, he came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. He took an extra moment to look at the man, but he too decided to continue on. Again, there are no motives ascribed in scripture, but I think Jesus' point was clear. These ministers had forgotten the heart of the mission. They had quoted, love thy neighbor as thyself, and they had failed to remember what a neighbor looked like and what it meant to be a neighbor. This was the most important piece of the law. Paul wrote and said all the commandments could be summed up in this. It is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. But the priest and the Levite had duties. They were busy. In fact, the definition for priest is one who offers sacrifices and is busied with sacred rites. They had responsibilities and routines and religious rituals, which meant they had no time, they had time to see the man, 
but not stop and help the man. The pace of their life, the weight of their religious responsibility, and their lofty view of themselves had stifled the flow of love in their hearts. They chose to move on even when they saw. Maybe it violated other commands and they would be ceremonially unclean. Again, maybe fear for their own safety kept them moving. But while the priest and the Levite chose to move along, someone else chose to stop. But a certain Samaritan, a man who the priest, the Levite, and the lawyer who initiated the story would look down on as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him. The Greek word for compassion is speklonatsimai, something like that. It is only used of Jesus, and he uses it here in this story of the Good Samaritan and in the story of the prodigal son. Charles Spurgeon says, The original word is a very remarkable one. It is not found in classic Greek. It is not found in the Septuagint. The fact is, it was a word coined by the evangelists themselves. They did not find one in the whole Greek language that suited their purpose. Therefore, they had to make one. It is expressive of the deepest emotion, a striving of the bowels, a yearning of the innermost nature of pity. This sort of compassion is what welled up in the heart of the Good Samaritan. He was a nobody, but he took note of the man's life-threatening condition and immediately went into action. He had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. Was it bloody and messy? Yes. But he offered what he had and did what he could with no guarantee of how it would turn out. He poured in oil and wine. He set the broken man on his own beast. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. In the morning he left, but compassion saw him giving. He took out two pence. He gave them to the host, and he said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Jesus stops the story here. We don't even know if the victim survived or recovered. We don't know how long his stay at the inn was. The story is inconclusive. But the point isn't. Jesus stops the story and asks the question, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer responds, He that showed mercy on him. That's the right answer. Jesus wraps up the conversation by saying, Go and do thou likewise. Go and observe the broken around you, and when you see them, stop and let compassion well up on the inside. Let that compassion move you to action. Do what you can with what you have when you can. Religious duty and protocol and position and responsibility can wait. When your path runs directly into the broken, don't pass by on the other side. Stop and care and pour and give. You can't do it all but you can do something. You can see a neighbor and you can be a neighbor. This convicts me in a way I can't explain. I don't wanna be so busied with religious rites as the priest and the Levite that I forget the mission of Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. 
I don't want busyness or fear or pressing duties to stop the flow of love in my heart. Love for humanity, love for the hurting in and out of the church, love for those I wouldn't naturally consider a neighbor, love for the broken and the bleeding, love and compassion for the harvest, love that beats in time with my saviors, compassion so deep that there's not a word for it. I'm not there, but I want to be there. Let me learn from the priest and the Levite. Let me learn from the good Samaritan. Please let me see the neighbors and be a neighbor. Please help me show mercy, which is kindness or goodness toward the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to relieve them. That's what you've done for me. Please help me to pass it on. Please, won't you be? my neighbor. That is not meant to be condemning in any way, shape, or form. That is really just something, again, that the Lord has been dealing with me on. It's easy to, in healing, be busy with religious things and with religious responsibilities, and they have their place. And we can't shirk those responsibilities, but at the same time, we cannot allow those responsibilities to keep us from seeing the broken and the hurting around us. And I have no idea what you may be facing in your life or in your heart or your mind, but Jesus does. Maybe you face incredible insecurity and you battle comparison or maybe you have bitterness or unforgiveness that you're wrestling or maybe weakness maybe you're in the middle of long trials and long storms and you're just tired maybe you're in a dark season maybe you have a lack of insight into your current situation or questions or maybe it's busyness and complacency which is I think kind of where the priest and the Levite fell Maybe you have spiritual stagnation going on, or maybe you're battling fear or worry or depression or you're brokenhearted or you're betrayed or you're wrestling loss and grief. I just want to stop and take a moment that I really truly believe that whatever you're facing, if you will daily take that thing or those things that you're dealing with into the presence of God and you'll daily get into the word of God, you'll be shocked by the incredible healing work that he does in your life. And so I'm going to again repeat the words that my mom said to me, you need to pray about it. Those words have changed my life and those words will change your life. Thank you again so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday to download a handwritten or typed transcript of today's entry you can visit meganedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is Unedited. This is for you. Happy 